All right, good day, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. We're back on again. So uh, this is a um, another week. Uh, we're getting towards Christmas now, by the way. It's only what three weeks till Christmas at the moment. So mm. I think I can, I can certainly feel that crunch time when everyone wants things done before end of twenty twenty one. I don't know about how you guys are feeling at the moment. I think John, are you feeling the squeeze at the moment? Yeah, yeah. There's always a psychological, you know, let's get it done uh, before it done. Christmas, uh, so we can go into the holidays without uh, having to worry about anything. But usually, it's uh, it's false urgency, but uh, it's it's <laughs> happens every year. There's still that feel of missing out, or a bit of FOMO uh, factor in mind. I I have to say, uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll touch on that a little bit. But Jazz, how are you doing? The one that refused to edit my blunder out. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, mate. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to everyone. Happy Friday. Has the crypto party started is the question. Oh, look, the fireworks are going to happen. Just the direction needs to be in the <laughs> <laughs> The direction needs to be in the right direction is the main thing. So, okay. We'll get you to cover it off a little bit more later on uh, when we jump into that. But um, yeah, look, the main thing for this week is all about interest rate. Um, you know, there's there's interest rate hikes literally everywhere, I've got to say. Um, just from what I'm seeing, there was an article on AFR that talks about talks about Goldman sees the potential for March US interest rate hikes. Okay, so, and what it says is, Goldman Sachs said it expects the US Central Bank to lift interest rate three times in 2022 with March, May, or June as the starting point. So that's that'd be, I think that's the first time that US is hiking their cash rate. If I'm not uh, prior prior to obviously a few years ago, they tried it and then they had to lower it down again. But this is the first time uh, since the COVID nineteen pandemic that they are trying to actually lift the cash rate. Is that right, James? Uh, I think you are bang on, David. I think that mm. was in sixteen or fifteen, something like that, when they tried. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're, so they're talking about potentially free cash rate rises in US next year. We've got Reserve Bank of New Zealand, who has this week raised another 0.25% on their cash rate, which takes their cash rate to 0.75% as we speak. Um, and I mean, RBA uh, has not mentioned anything this week, of course. However, um, CBA has just came out today. This is on the 26th of November uh, on a Friday that they are raising for the third or the fourth time in the last six weeks, I think it was. Um, they're raising the fixed rates again. Um, you know, so it's dominating the headline at the moment, I gotta say. Uh, everywhere you look, everyone's saying the rate rise is gonna come a lot faster, a lot more furious, a lot earlier than everyone was anticipating previously. Um, but um, yeah, I guess it, it, that's the information that we got. But I, uh, you know, one thing that I do want to bring on the discussion table today is how should investors react to this? It's great to have this information, but um, you know, as, as an investor, and and we, us three, are both are all property investors. What should we be doing? Um, you know, how do we safeguard ourselves? Do we do we stop buying? Do we need to look at restructuring? What can investors do in order to, you know, in order to, I guess, safeguard themselves with even more rate rises in the future? Mm-hmm. So, I know, gents. Um, I guess first of all, let's bring it back. Uh, any comments on the Goldman Sachs 
comment about US raising rates potentially three times in, in uh, next year. Any, any thoughts on that? Likely, unlikely? I think uh, likelihood of interest rate rising in US is pretty high, to be honest. Mm. Okay. Uh, with the, especially if the listeners were listening to last week's pod, we did discuss about the inflation numbers in the US. Mm. Uh, so they sort of tie into that story. Uh, so raising rates with the level of inflation that we'll probably see next year doesn't surprise at all. I think um, two or three rate rises in the US can happen, but I think three is pretty aggressive. So we'll see what happens over there. Uh, Australia, it's not going to be that aggressive in my opinion. I think I think the, head, the yes we are seeing a lot of headlines, um, probably to calm down the market a, bit, a little bit as well. But uh, I think in Australia we'll probably see uh, 0.25, maybe 0.5 kind of rate rise. But that'll that'll be the end of the story for next year. Uh, pretty much what we said last time, in my opinion, and we said that New Zealand was going to be the trigger point for that, and that we've seen that first time with CBA reacting to it. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's we're, we're trying to read the minds of uh, central bankers, and th- there was that old Greenspan quote where he said, "If if you understand what I what I've said, it means I've said it wrong," or something like that. Like if you walk away from a, a, a Fed meeting clear on what the policy is, it means that they're doing the wrong thing. Uh, some I'll I'll dig out the correct quote one day. Um, so I've long I've long been of the opinion, and my opinion hasn't really changed that. Um, they're going to talk a lot about raising interest rates. So th- mm. three interest rates is not going to happen next year. That's just not going to happen. Um, will one interest rate happen? Maybe, maybe. But um, th- there's going to be a lot of bluster around this because there's a lot of nervousness around um, the deficit and the impact that higher interest rates will have. There's also nervousness about inflation, but there's less nervousness about inflation because that is a bit of a policy objective. So they're kind of getting what they want. Um, interestingly, what happened during the week was Chairman Powell was reconfirmed by Joe Biden as the head of the um, head of the uh, uh, the Fed, and the vice chairperson is a woman whose name I forget, but she's very very uh, dovish. She's like a so Chairman Powell is reasonably conservative, but the the vice chairperson is a bit of a modern monetary theorist type of person. So. I don't know. I think her influence might uh, mean that big interest rate increases are not going to happen. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, I, I still think I think they're going to talk rates up, and I think that, that they want to see the uh, supply chain issues resolve themselves before they start tightening into this. Jazz, what did you, you want to say something? So I've got I've got a question, John. Um, if there were three rate rises next year, yep, will you call that aggressive? Yeah. Yep. So you'll call so 0.75 pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that in US or Australia? Which one are you talking about? I'm talking in US. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, I, 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 I don't think they'll move three times. It also assumes that they will. The first move will be in March. I can't imagine that. Um, but maybe what I can say is that the RBA in Australia have they did reiterate last week um, that the the next move is going to be in 2024. So it's hard. and look, and they will 
clearly consider changing their mind, particularly if the US moves and the, the reserve currency moves along with it. However, um, I still think that, uh, that there's not going to be any aggressive moves in interest rates. The, um, with, with the Bank of New Zealand raising interest rates, the unique sort of differentiator there is that the, uh, the, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand do have, as part of their mandate, asset prices and home prices in particular. So they're required to, to manage that. And their home price appreciation has been far bigger than even our home price appreciation. So they're required and obligated and mandated to, to rein that in, whereas the RBA and the Fed just, just manage the CPI, really. So, the, yeah, I mean, interest rates will rise at some stage. I don't think they're going to rise meaningfully. Uh, and I, th- I re- again, the reason for that is not to protect you and me as debtors and real estate investors. The reason is to protect the, the federal treasury because that will blow the budget out. I mean, there's, there's some ridiculous um, number, like if if interest rates get to 1% in the US, the interest on the debt will be bigger than military spending. Or, uh, so the, I, I just think, I just don't think that they can do it. Um, one other one other thing, I guess, just to... to wrap this up on a bow, what what can you do? Uh, David, I think was one of your sort of thoughts and questions. I'll, I'll add two things and maybe we can circle back. But the, the first thing is to fix your rate. That would be uh, one of the first things you can do in a ra- raising interest rate environment. And the second thing is it's to manage your cash flow. So as right, rates start to rise, um, cash flow becomes all the more important. And the things that you can do there are things like if you're a real estate owner, you want to start considering how to make your your property um, generate more cash flow. And you can do that via renovations and raising the rent and so on. Uh, but they're the sorts of things you can do. So it's interesting you're talking about fixed rates. But yeah, look, I, I do agree with you there, John. Um, sorry, Jess. I was going to raise the same thing that John just mentioned about maybe fixing the rates. Um, I mean, for average punter out there, unless you're really speculating the markets and you understand the markets that well, isn't it fair to say, John, that uh, you can't beat the banks, which means if you uh, if you stay variable, you probably are better off over the long run? Or you're talking about yeah. people who are tied on budgets? Well, I mean... I think that there are moments in time where uh, fixing the rate is better and, and there are obviously times when the prevailing rates are rising and if that's going to happen, then you want to be in fixed. Uh, I haven't been personally in fixed until the last uh, year or so um, since COVID, so I've always been in variable. But um, uh, it's hard to see rates going lower. I mean, uh, I doubt it. So I, I, these are just things that you can do. And actually... The, the main benefit from fixing your rate is really just the certainty. It's not that you're necessarily saving money. It's just that you can budget around uh, locking locking your biggest expense in. So it's just the certainty. It's more about peace of mind in, in personal opinion. And that's what I tell my customers as well. You know, don't fix for the lowest, but fix for certainty, essentially, um, in that sense, because it's going to be a lot easier to do budgeting in the next few years. In particular, um, you know, in the uncertain times like this where, you know, even though we said that the RBA or RBA may not necessarily raise their cash rate. However, that doesn't mean that banks cannot increase their variable rates. I think there's a distinction there. I think most people believe under the belief that if RBA doesn't move the cash rate, then a bank's variable rate would also not move, which 
is incorrect. I mean, looking at the history, it has happened. Um, you know, there were out of cycle interest rate rises where, you know, banks actually increased the variable rates when RBA hasn't actually made a move. Now, will that happen this time? We don't know, maybe. At the moment, uh, what we're seeing or what I'm seeing as a mortgage broker is that banks are actually reducing their variable rates, not increasing them, they're reducing the variable rates. And, you know, we're looking at a home loan variable rates. They're, they're, actually, very, they're actually around like a, a low twos, basically. There's even high ones as well and on a variable rate. But if you look at what fixed rates now jumping on, you know, let's say that's, that's just use CBA's latest fixed rate example, right? Like if I, if I have a look at it, the latest uh, two years, um, let's say two years own occupier fixed rates on a principal and interest rate payment is now at 2.59%. And the three years fixed rate is at a 2.99%. Let's just use three years as an example. If it's if you get a fix for three years for 3%, you get that certainty. But do you reckon that how, how many how many how many cash rate rises would that have to be in order to circumvent it? I'm being a bit of a punter here, by the way. <laughs> so I'm just trying to try to work out what, what makes more sense if I put my investor logic hat on. The the last tightening cycle in the in the US at least was eight. Um, eight rate rises in about two, two and a bit years. My guess is they won't do eight rises in this cycle. So it'd be four or five over a couple of years. So if we say four or five, that'll be about, that'll, that'll equate to about 1% or a bit more yep. in, in, in terms of that. Okay. And that's assumed that banks passes them all. Um, and, you know, let's assume for a second that your variable might be about 2.4, 2 2.3, 2. and so that'll be about 3.4%, okay? So it's still going to be higher than your fixed rate in that instance, uh, on that assumption. So, but that, that's it. But I, thought, I just thought that's fascinating as something that we look into, you know, when you do the actual comparison and when you try to, like, like I said, you know, no, one, no one's got a crystal ball in terms of which way and how quickly they're going to raise the rates. Um, we being punters, it's just having a go and kind of try to validate to see whether it makes sense to fix or not. Uh, in a sense, you know, RBA and RBA may not necessarily raise rates, variable rates, and cash rates that early. Um, so, but look, as I, I think circling back, fix for certainty is certainly the way I look at um, how how investors should be approaching it um, nowadays, if, especially when it comes to it's one of the biggest expense. So um, to safeguard yourself moving forward and if someone's asking me and my concern is my is my budget um, going to be very tight and if if banks do raise another one percent on my current home loan then you should be you should be looking at doing something now mm-hmm. and as as investors into so that that's the finance side is probably the most important side the mm. other the other question that we get asked is whether or not you should buy or not? I actually got that question via an SMS today. Like, uh, well, what do you think of, you know, people saying that the the property market will go down? And my view on that is, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't care. I mean, I've always said that you you should always buy when your finance allows it. If you that doesn't mean the property will always go up, but it means that in your life you only have a window of a certain amount of time where you're attractive enough to the banks that they want to lend to you. And that's generally speaking your twenties and thirties and, and so on. So you want to make sure that you're ready to go when your income is the highest 
and your prospects are the best rather than when the property market um, is low enough for you to feel it's attractive enough to buy. So um, I think your own circumstances should dictate when you buy. So I don't think raising interest rates or, or lowering interest rates should be your trigger point as to whether or not you get into the market. So that's, Funny enough, though. Mm, sorry, Jason. So that's an interesting one. Uh, with all the headlines that's going around, uh, the the boom is over, and we're going to see a ten to fifteen percent correction next year. Uh, do you think the people should actually wait for that to happen? Every newspaper is talking about it. Well, don't forget that they said that the property market would fall thirty percent uh, this time last year, or maybe a little bit earlier. By September, it had started to turn. But let's say during sort of April of 2020, everyone said 30% fall, except for this podcast, I should say. But uh, everyone said that the property market was going to fall. What did it do? It did the opposite. It went up by 25%. So the last people you should listen to are journalists about the the property market. Um, Yeah, so maybe it'll go down, but I wouldn't wouldn't be making any decisions on what I read in the paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think think it's still a lot of bad time. To be honest, to be looking at the markets, it's actually kind of good that the the overheated market is calming down, coming down a bit. But the trend is project is project the trajectory is still upwards. It's still yeah. moving up. I think there's a bit of a pause now. It might even be a pullback. And what what makes its way into the data? Because don't forget the data for for, for the property market are, are total like averages and aggregates. So it can never capture the property that you're trying to buy. But um, uh, there, there probably is going to be a, a pause or a pullback, but as was the case 18 months ago, you, you know, you want to be positioned for when it goes up again and you'll never know if you're on the sidelines. So I don't think, I don't think you should even consider it. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a good segue to, to, uh, to talk about the data that I think, John, you've, uh, you, you've talked about, right, in terms of property data, because that will give us a bit of a heat um, heat market map, heat map in terms of where we are at the moment for mm. different cycles. Because, yeah, when we talk about is it cooling off, it's 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 a very generalised term, right? Like it might be cooling off in Sydney, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's cooling off in other states and other capital cities. So the devil lies in the detail, as we always say. Um so, John, um, can I get you to share, I guess, your um, your latest property data with us? So this is a weekly data, but it's got year-to-date and some other, you know, previous month and all, all sorts of data. But for, for the last week, um, Sydney property prices were up 0.1 of a percent. Um, Melbourne was flat. Brisbane, which is too hot to touch right now, uh, absolutely on fire, 0.7 of, of a percent in one week which is nearly 1% per week, which is 52% per year, which <laughs> I'm joking. It's not going to do 52% this year, but, but 0.7% for the week um, and Adelaide 0.6%. So uh, out of all the markets, uh, Brisbane and Adelaide are hot, hot, hot. Perth at 0.2%. So Perth is sort of doing average long-term rates of return, but Sydney's come right down. Um, in terms of... Yeah, in terms of um, month to date, uh, Sydney's tracking at about 1% a month. Melbourne's tracking about at about half a percent per month. But Brisbane and Adelaide are tracking at about 2% per month, maybe even a little bit higher, uh, with Perth, um, P- Perth very flat. So, 
my takeaway from this, at least with my Sydney lens on, which is probably unfair to you, Jazz, but my, my uh, Sydney read of this is that the Sydney boom is probably over. Um, and the, the key word there is boom. Uh, I don't mean that the bull market's over. I don't mean that rising prices is over. But I think the boom, the boom conditions, the feeding frenzy, I think that I think that's over. Speaking to some real estate agents this morning, and they were saying the same sort of thing that there are fewer people at the opens. Uh, there isn't the, um, the, the, the that FOMO is not in the market. So my, my my take is still in a rising market, although there's probably going to be temporary pause, and. Uh, uh, the feeding, I think, I think the boom is over. That said, the boom is not over in Brisbane. Brisbane and Adelaide are hot, hot, hot. I'm guessing there's loads of FOMO and um, and all that sort of stuff there. What, what, what are you guys seeing? I think it will be interesting to watch Super Saturday results, to be honest, mm. um, to see what comes out. Um, speaking to some of the agents locally, and that's only a day or two ago, they still see enough demand in the market. So in their in their eyes, it hasn't really slowed down that much. Uh, but that's agents talking their language. Uh, maybe certain parts have slowed down or are still performing well. But I, I agree with John that I think overall it's the boom, that boom phase is gone, but the growth is still there ahead of us changing more into a rapid growth type of phase. You know, we're talking about a healthy growth of maybe about a 0.1 to 0.2, 3%, that kind of thing per month, which would translate to what, 1%, 2%, 3% per year. That's that's kind of like the general health growth that we yeah. that we should be seeking. Not a not a 1%, 2% per month, which and which, you know, if you analyze that to be a 25% annualized growth, which would be way too expensive. So yeah, totally agree. I, but I think, yeah, again, like, you know, for investors, if you are looking at Brisbane and Adelaide, and I've got clients constantly getting outbid on those areas, they are still very, very hot at the moment. Um, but I, I think, you know, the the top ends, top ends of the market, you know, let's say, for example, the Sunshine Coast, where a lot of the, um, a lot of high-end property selling used to sell for one mil, that type of market, I think, is also starting to slow a little bit. Um, as I've got uh, clients looking to bid there. And um, yeah, he's also saying that the number of bids is starting to slow. Um, and then it, it actually it actually went into um, negotiation because it didn't meet what the vendor wanted, uh, which is very different to about four to six weeks ago. Um, but yeah, we start, we're, seeing, we're seeing signs first in Sydney and Melbourne um, to start to, to slow down the boom. The boom is starting to, to phase out, uh, replaced by just rapid growth back to the normal demand that people wanted. Uh, people still needing property, the interest rate is still relatively low. Um, so it's still a, a decent time to be looking at the asset um, side of things. So so does that does that then does that I mean that raises an interesting question in my mind. Does that does that mean um, if if the um, if the market is slowing down, can investors look at Sydney and Melbourne market again? It depends what their time frame is, but yeah, I think so. Uh, look, I don't know why Sydney and Melbourne haven't moved more in tandem. They're both the big eastern seaboard capitals, um, similar populations, both very attractive to international migration. So I, 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 Sydney's um, boomed and Melbourne didn't really boom. And I know that 
The answer to that is that there was more disjointed lockdowns in Melbourne. So there were, it was harder to plan, but I'm, su- I'm surprised it didn't just get caught up in the, in the kind of flow. Um, and maybe, maybe Melbourne's undervalued now. I don't actually have a perspective on Melbourne, but maybe Melbourne's the most undervalued capital right now. Jazz, what do you reckon? It's funny, actually, you said that. I had that floating in my head for the last couple of days with all the um, brain drain or the interstate migration that we have seen uh, and the impact of no migration. Together, if you add those, I think um, your point makes perfect sense, John. The, the, the big advantage of investing in Melbourne and Sydney is actually that the policymakers have your back. And what I mean by that is if there's a if there's a crash in the Sydney market, you're going to see the RBA, you're going to see the big banks, everyone's going to get in there and they're going to they're going to open up the spigots and they're going to let the credit flow and property prices will come back. If you ask someone in Perth or Hobart or or Adelaide um, what the policy response will be to a big property correction in uh, Adelaide, I mean Perth is the best example, they will probably do nothing. Um Perth prices have gone sideways for ten years, um, and no one, no one in at the RBA cared. Um, but when Sydney property prices went down by fifteen percent in two thousand and eighteen, they turned on, they threw the kitchen sink at it. Same as Melbourne. I mean, this is the big advantage of being in those markets. It's the, the wind is in your sails for long, long periods of time for interdecade investing. Mm-hmm. We saw that. Jazz, is the uh, Melbourne interstate migration still negative at the moment? So in other words, are are there still more people leaving the state in comparison to coming in? Do you know? I don't have the recent stats on me, to be honest. The last time I think I checked, it was still still a more outflow than inflow, yeah? Yeah. It's a good chart. We'll we'll try and bring it up next week, but... Yeah, I think so. I think that'll give us a bit of an indication. But then again, you know, we talked about... Australia is needing a lot of immigrants coming in in the next couple of years. And we know typically Melbourne is the first destination for mm-hmm. people. And, and this time around, because of the skill shortages, we're going to bring in people who's a lot more wealthier. I mean, in my personal opinion, um, because they're, you know, they're, they're obviously professional, uh, professionals in that sense. So they are going to come into this country with money available and they're going to get, get a job and they will be able to afford buying properties in that sense and i think that's why we we've touched on to say you know the next potential boom in the next phase will be driven by migration immigrants mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. Cool. um all right i think that's john just had a footnote to the real estate uh, bit one thing i've noticed um is i always thought that I always thought that the the apartment market would start to boom, and I, I still I still think it maybe it's a twenty twenty two thing, but we're not we're not really seeing that in the clearance rates. the The clearance rates for detached houses is still a lot higher. Um, so for houses, we're still up near eighty percent clearance rates, and for apartments, it's in the six it's in sort of the high sixties. So, um, the, I, I I think that's that's sort of interesting that. Um, the apartment market is still really seriously lagging, um, and I, I suspect that the trigger for that to turn around will be will be migration, and that will probably be a 2022 event. But what's also interesting in, in Sydney, um, the median price of a unit is a million dollars a unit. Crazy. 
expensive, very, very expensive city you live in. Let's put it that way. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, anything, anything else you guys want to add to, uh, to the property side of things? No. Before we move on? Okay. All right. Um, crypto, Jazz, I think you've got a, uh, a few updates for us this week. Crypto land, what's happening there? So I think uh, last week or the week before we discussed about the blockchain ETF that was being launched in uh, India, yes. uh, which would give access to obviously billion people all of a sudden to be able to invest without holding any digital assets. That has been delayed um, by regulators. So we're still working on whether they will allow it to be Allow, allow it to happen or not. At the same time, there is a bill being prepared and proposed in Parliament of India uh, to try and ban cryptocurrency. So I think this is about sixth or fifth time that India is trying to do it. So another shot at try and ban all the digital assets. Um, but apparently they are already working on their CBDC, which is Central Bank Digital Currency. Uh, how that will act as a store of value, not sure, uh, to be seen. Uh, we don't have the finest details of it, whether it will be backed by something else or something. So it's an interesting development. Uh, not really a development. I mean, India is a very uncertain, mar un uncertain market when it comes to things like these. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, that was, I think, the biggest piece of news uh, other than the price section a little bit that happened in this space. Well, what's the Indian government's motivation for trying to sort of regulate or, or remove crypto from the space? For China, I get it. I understand. Even for the US, to a lesser extent, I get why they would want, you know, a lack of competition to the US dollar. But why, why India? I think it's more politics than anything else. I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest. Mm. But... Uh, never say never. So we'll be surprised if it happens. And if it was to happen by now, you will think that they would have uh, banned it rather than talking about fifth time uh, about it. Uh, so it's all politics. And I think India is more of a commodities play, to be honest. They, they, uh, the Indian people uh, love gold and uh, other precious metals. So uh, even you see some of the bonds that have been launched in the last couple of years, they have been backed by gold. So I think that that's partly uh, pushing the ban for crypto bill as well. Uh, so yeah, it's in all honesty, it's politics more than anything else, in my opinion. It is a democratic country. So it's... Uh, it's not dictatorships uh, trying to ban it. It's going to be pretty hard. They, they love their uh, IT in India as well. They're quite tech savvy. Yeah, that's that's true. And this is all digital space. So, mm. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But I think the what, other what? news that you, uh, you've shared... Sorry, John, you had another question. No, no, go, go for it. Um, so, yeah, I think the other news that you share was uh, Australia's uh, Res Super Retirement Fund is, uh, is looking to invest in crypto for its yes. 1.8 million members. Thanks for reminding me, David. That is a big piece of news, actually, um, for Australia. 
So all of a sudden, I, I rest super is one of the big supers in Australia. And I think the total funds under management are roughly about 60 billion, uh, which is a handsome amount. So even a one for 1% exposure to crypto, all of a sudden is a big, big amount. So uh, it's, it's, I think more than, more than the, how big the fund is, um, the important piece here is that uh, retirement funds, which is super, are now very positively looking at crypto space, especially DeFi and all, which is decentralized finance. Um, and REST Super, I think, specifically mentioned about that. And I think it was also the um, the CEO of Commonwealth Bank who said that we are more worried about not investing in this space than investing. So um, it's I think it's it's all coming into play. So it's great, I think, actually, for youngsters to be able to get access to such a high volatile asset class within the super fund where the returns um, can uh, increase over, over a long run. So, yeah. We'll go to zero. It's, it's exciting. Even if, so, so the beauty of when you, when you invested through these uh, super funds is that they will never uh, have a massive exposure to yeah. one asset class. So, even if they decide to get exposure to crypto, it's still going to be one person. If it goes to zero, your six percent return will probably become five percent or whatever it is, right? Or five and a half. So, not the end of the world. But the fact that they are allowing it, I think, is a big deal. And it's the same in the US as well, where we saw um, IRA endowments, all of those, uh, slowly allowing um, people to be able to invest in crypto. I think. I listened to a U.S. or Canadian podcaster who said that um, that all this talk about Bitcoin making it into ETFs uh, and ultimately into retirement funds, which is what which is what these ETFs serve to do, is that step one is going to be stabilizing the price of Bitcoin. So you notice that Bitcoin has been volatile, but it's been volatile within a band all year, it, it, and um, and that's been necessary to then get institutional money so before they could get institutional money into the into the pension funds they first needed um the price to stabilize either through free market or, or manipulation and once the etfs are formed then then bitcoin can go on its next uh, tear yeah. but it had to be stable first i think more than stable it had to be of the market cap had to be of a certain amount which right. is, which it is there now it's a what a trillion dollar market cap currently yeah. at the current price so uh, which is similar to almost silver i think silver is 1.5 or something like that so um, i think i think that was more important than anything else um, and as long as it's as long as it holds that market cap uh, it will be it will have enough liquidity for all these funds to be able to invest one way or the other into it. Um, in terms of the volatility, I don't think the volatility is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, a, there, there's a different lens, which John, I know you talk in the gold world, is one, uh, one bar of gold is one bar of gold. We say that it's gone up or it's gone down. The fact is it hasn't gone up or down. 
it's still one bar of gold. It's the fiat currency or the US or Australian dollar, whatever currency you're measuring it in, that has gone up or down. Uh, same is for something like Bitcoin, uh, which is one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. You can keep saying that it's gone up by 100% or it's gone by it's gone down by 80%, but the fact is it's still one. It's, it's the currency that you are calculating in is moving up or down, which no one really focuses on. It's just the lens people look at is the wrong lens. Uh, property is the same. Property is exactly. Yeah, one yeah. property is one property. One block is one block. <laughs> Unless you've done a, a added an addition, the property hasn't changed. Exactly. Um, the, the the analogy I like best is uh, Jim Rickard says that if I'm if I'm um, uh, standing on a boat and I'm looking to shore and I'm bopping up and down. Uh, thinking that the property price is going up and down or the gold price is going up and down is like standing on a boat thinking that the shore is going up and down, but it's actually you. It's 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 the <laughs> boat that's going up and down, not the shore. And that's what's happening in the property market. Um, that's what's happening in the gold and Bitcoin market, that mm-hmm. it's actually the volatile aspect is actually the currency. Mm-hmm. The, the gold and the, the property is completely stable. Exactly. And that, that's a whole mind grenade, just getting your, just once that registers with you, everything changes. It's like taking the red pill in uh, the matrix. So, and you know what question you'll never ask again? Uh, once you realize that, you'll never ask, is now a good time to buy property? Because <laughs> there's no flaw to the currency. You can always make the currency worthless. Correct. Bang on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to end this episode. <laughs> Anything else, gents? Good, good, uh, good chat. Time to wrap it up to the listeners. A lot of speculation, not a not not a financial or investment advice. Do your own research. Play safe, stay safe. Don't over leverage, and we will see you guys next Friday. John, Jazz, and David.